Well, my friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. The doctor has just told you the news that you thought could only be true about someone else. Your suspicion regarding a lump. Or maybe, my friends, it's a carotid artery issue, whatever it might be. Where do you turn for comfort when the inevitable seems closer than ever? Where do you turn? Well, you turn to family and friends, people who love and care for you, and that's that's wise and wonderful. You won't walk this path alone, that's for sure. But I'll tell you what, friends, you ought to turn to the Word of God because the Word of God talks about such things. The fact is, Death is inevitable for every single one of us. Lest the Lord returns, every one of us will taste death. And we're going to talk about that today. Not not because it's October and we're trying to scare people, but the word of God gives us hope about such things. Did you know that we can know exactly what happens? The Bible tells us. So turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Many people, they fear death. Frankly, some people ought to. But for you and I, those who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, death is not to be feared. I mean, fear is generally the result of ignorance. We just don't know. We're afraid of the dark. Why? Because we don't know what's there. We don't understand it, and it makes us afraid. But this morning, we're going to answer three questions about death. Three questions about death. We're going to answer what is it, what happens when you die, and what will your life be like when you die. Now this will be, of course, general, or mainly about the believer. Now we're not going to spend hours and hours and hours talking about eternity here, my friends. We're going to talk about the immediate transition and what things look like. So take a look with me, if you will. In uh, Luke chapter 16, first we'll give a definition of death. What is death? Well, James in 2.26 tells us, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So the biblical definition of death is this separation of the body and the soul. We've all been to funerals. There they are, except they're not there. The separation of the body and the spirit. So take a look with me here. The words used in the Bible to describe death are many. I mean, we have these word pictures to help us understand, at least from God's perspective, what he wants us to know about this inevitable day. You see, we, uh, we come to uh, maybe Luke 9, and we see that uh, Jesus is saying that death is like a departure. As a matter of fact, that's the term he used about his own death, to his disciples. In Luke 9, 28, we read, Now about eight days after these things, he took with him, that's Jesus, Peter and James and John, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. 
who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Death is like a departure. In other words, we're going somewhere. That's what death is, going somewhere. Death is primarily described as sleep in the Bible. You know, perhaps uh, sleep is used um, as a picture of death in the New Testament because the body sleeps until the day of the resurrection. Think of it. We get a new body, a glorified body, but not the soul. In John chapter 11, there is this, this wonderful passage of a certain man who was ill. His name is Lazarus of Bethany. In Luke chapter 11, you might want to turn there. In Luke chapter 11, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There's a principle to explore. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why did he delay? Because this was for the glory of God. And for that to happen, he had to wait Well, verse 7, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. He said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. There's that metaphor, my friends, that uh, the disciples did not get. You and I understand what Jesus said is Lazarus has died. And he uses the term sleep. But notice he says, but I go to awaken him. Imagine what that means. (laughs) Yeah. Well, of course, you know that Jesus goes and and raises Lazarus from the dead for the glory of God, that people might see his power. Hmm. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11 says this, but as for those who belong to the Lord, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Pictures of death, a departure, like restful sleep. Paul referred to it like a collapsing tent. I mean, intentionally, apparently. In 2 Corinthians 5.1, he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, our bodies, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so a tent, if it says anything, it says temporary. When you go camping, maybe you've set up tents before, you know, it never seems, for me at least, to go as well as I thought it would. (laughs) So I learned how to book hotels. But a tent is temporary. You set it up, it's a temporary shelter. And that's something, my friends, that we ought to learn in this life. This life is temporary. 
It never really feels that way, though, does it? I mean, the older you get, the more experience you have is that you're not going to die, right? I mean, look, I, I've lived up to this year, you know, and there's so many things that happened in the past. Surely I'll live another 57 years. We think that way, though, don't we? Yeah, but we ought not, because this life is like a tent. It's temporary. There is more to come. Paul, again, in the book of Philippians, chapter 1 and verse 23, compared death to a sailing ship. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, the Greek word depart that's being used here was used for the loosing of an anchor, getting ready to set sail. That is the perspective you and I ought to have about death. Death is also like a permanent home we see in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, this is one of those passages I memorized early as a new believer, you know. I I listened to a sermon and somebody just quoted it and I thought, oh man, I'm behind the curve. I need to memorize that, you know. Let not your hearts be troubled. Do you hear that? Jesus says, don't worry about this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. See, it's Jesus talking. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You see, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. One of them's got your name on it, friends, if you're trusting Christ. A place has been prepared for you to live in for all eternity. And it ain't a tent. My friends, all that was lost in Genesis 1 to 3, the intimacy with God, walking and communing with him, no sin, no shame, all of that is restored in eternity. It's like a permanent home with the very best neighbors. Yeah. Now, in the King James, you know, um, they uh, they translated the the word that I said as rooms as mansions. In my father's house are many mansions, and all that was meant by that in sixteen eleven was a room. But then we got hymns about, I got a mansion and a really big Rolls Royce, you know? And, it, and, we, and we, we get the wrong picture here. You see, there's a home that we all will live in. There is a room just for you. Yeah. The picture here of death, my friend, is a positive one. All of scripture bleeds this for the believer. Good stuff comes out of this. Don't fear it. And finally, death is a lot like good grief. One of my wife's favorite statements, she says, why would you put those two words together, good and grief? 
But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 55, Paul says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You see, when Christ rose from the dead, he defeated death. And so now, you know what happens with a bee, right? You know, once they sting, they're done for. They got nothing. There's no backup plan, no plan B. And that's the idea here. A bee can only sting once. Although the insect can still frighten us. Ooh, he might have one. Is that one of the scary ones? But they got nothing. Nothing. And that's death. We're not afraid of this stuff, my friend. We're not afraid of death. This is part of God's design for our reward and inheritance. Well, my friends, I asked you to turn to Luke 16. I hope you still have a finger there. Because what we have here is the Lord telling us a story. Now, this is not a parable. In, in parables, Jesus doesn't use names. He says there was a rich man and a poor man. There was a farmer and there was a this guy. And there was a this guy and a that guy. But he never uses names. But in this passage... Names are used. So notice with me, if you will, Luke 16 and verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously. Now, you may not know what the word sumptuous means, but you get the idea here, don't you? Man, this dude was living the high life, and he was doing it every day. In verse 20, we notice, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, different guy than chapter 11 of John, who was covered with sores. Verse 21 tells us he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. I mean, just give me the garbage, I'll go through that. This guy was desperate. Moreover, Luke tells us, even the dogs came and licked his sores. This dude is pathetic. This guy has a bad life. But you will notice, the poor man died. And see, what this passage is going to answer for us is, what happens to us the minute you die? Take a look. Take a look. You know what happens first? We see the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The first thing you see when you die is angels. Now, you know what? In the Old Testament, people saw angels. You know what they did? They fell down in fear and in awe, and they were like worshiping because these creations, my friends, are awesome. My mother died in 1996. She was 56 years old. And I stood by her bed, praying with her and, and knowing that she was to pass at any moment. And there was a stillness that came over her. And then her eyes popped open and she said, Ah, oh, this isn't heaven. What a faith. And that's the anticipation that every one of us ought to have. 
You see, what those angels are there for is not to share stories with you, but get you to the good place now. And so the first thing you're going to see is angels. And you know what you're going to see next? Well, according to Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, Jesus, there he is on the cross, nailed to the cross. One of the criminals were hanging on the right side, were railing at him and saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other rebuked him and said, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Seems like he's got some faith in Jesus. And in verse 42, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, listen to this, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You're going to see Jesus. I don't know about you, but that should send some shivers up and down your spine. The one who died for you. The one who prays for you. The one who cares for you and provides for you. And you're going to see him face to face. Philippians 1.23, Paul says there's only two choices here. He says uh, he has this great desire to depart, there's that word again, and be with Christ. For that's far better than being here. And Paul makes it clear in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul writes that his preference is to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. It's one or two for the believer. You're in the body or you're with the Lord. So what happens the minute you die? You see angels who take you to Jesus. And there is the reward, my friends. This is the kind of stuff, my friends, that motivates holy living. To know that one day we will see him. But in back in Luke chapter 16, verse 23, we get this bit of a snapshot of what life is going to be like after you die. It's not voluminous, my, my friends, by any means, but we have a little snapshot here. Notice, first and foremost, what it's like after you die depends a whole lot on what you did with Jesus. Again, you'll notice I didn't say whether or not you went to church or whether or not you read your Bible, but what you did with Jesus. Did you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Because we have two men here, one whom obviously has faith in Jesus and the other that does not. So for the lost, well, it's, it's torment and anguish. You see, in verse 23, we see that this rich man is in Hades, being in torment. And he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off at Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. <laughs> God wants mercy. Yeah, well, he sure didn't save up for it, did he? 
Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Hmm. See, there is pain in hell. It is not a mental experience, it is both. So for the lost, it is torment and anguish. But look at here in verse 25. For the one who put their trust in Christ. But Abraham said, child, remember, apparently, we will not forget this life. Remember that you in your lifetime conceived your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Comfort. Again, another word that describes what happens after we die. Comforted. And besides all this, Abraham says, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not. And none may cross from there to us. And note carefully verse 27 through the end here. And this rich man who is in anguish and in torment said then, if this is the truth, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may, not, he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. Well, something in hell ought to be in the church. A great concern for the souls of others, the destiny but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. A summary of the Old Testament. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, and don't miss this, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You're still going to love those people left behind, my friends, but you won't be able to do a thing about it. The opportunity to tell people the gospel is now. Friends, this is a snapshot of eternity. There is great torment, and there is no end to it, my friend, and there is no relief to those who simply nod and walk away from Christ. You've got to put your faith in Jesus. He died for your sin. He rose from the dead. You've got to put your trust in Christ. You're going to remember those. Your memory isn't wiped away in heaven. You'll remember. Well, let's wrap it up here. Well, I've been yakking long enough here. But note that for those who put their trust in Christ, death is nothing to be feared. Every word in the scripture that talks about the death of the believer is nothing but positive. Nothing but positive. 
Psalm 23, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Which ought you to fear more? A big semi coming down the road? Or when you're standing on your lawn and the shadow hits you? Jesus took the truck. All we get is the shadow. Don't fear death, my friends. If you're trusting in Christ, it is the reward. It is the door. So knowing the truth, knowing this truth should set you free from fear. We don't fear this. We wait for it. We know that it's coming. We don't, we don't want to hurry our death. We want to be faithful as long as God would have us here. But when it comes... It ought to excite us that we close our eyes here and we open them in heaven. That's exciting, isn't it? That's why we live well here, because of what we await. Secondly, we may never know when the death, when our death may come. We don't. We don't. So live faithful every moment. And finally, once again, you got to hear me say it. We all have this appointment with death. Make sure that the people you care about know Jesus, that you have been relentless to love them into the kingdom. Open your mouths. You don't know when the last opportunity will be. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your word that gives us the truth. We don't have to listen to stories and movies. and We know the truth. And we know, God, that everything that you have for us is good. It results in eternity. So God, help us to live well. Not to fear death, but to welcome it as the door that leads to the reward. God, help us to be motivated to live a holy life for you and to tell others about Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, you're either welcome to stand or sit, but we're going to play some music, and I hope you'll sing it out, my friends.